0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, we've got good friend of the program, Ricky O'Donnell, making his triumphant return to the podcast because, hey, the Bulls made some news yesterday. They decided to fire Fred Hoiberg and, uh, I guess, move in the direction of Jim Boylan because that's a thing that people do. Uh, before we get into all of that, Ricky, how's it going, man? How, how is How is life in Chicago right now?
1: Life is great in Chicago right now. Uh, You know, the Bulls are a huge burden on my life in general, but (laughs) it's okay. There's some decent pieces. Larry Markkinen's coming back. That's going to give us a reason to watch. Wendell Carter's been solid. I'm really interested to see how him and Markkinen play off each other. Uh, So life's good, despite the fact that, you know, the Bulls keep making mistake after mistake, it seems like.
0: Yeah, I mean, we should absolutely talk about the bulls just making mistake after mistake we're going to talk a little bit about the nba in general and a little bit about the draft at the end because ricky covers the draft over at sb nation as well our sponsors today rx bar and simple contacts two favorites of the game Theory cast for sure uh we'll read some ads here in the middle of the show but ricky what was your initial reaction yesterday whenever you see the news Hey, Fred Hoiberg is no longer going to be the Chicago Bulls basketball coach. He lasted, if I remember correctly, three years in 20, what, 24 games?
1: Yeah. Uh, I was not surprised that the Bulls fired him midseason. And that was something we were talking about even from the onset of the year. One of the biggest questions this season was like, would Hoiberg make it through the year? Would he get fired midway through the season? You thought that maybe all the injuries the Bulls had would be good for Hoiberg in terms of keeping his job. Larry Markinon hurt, uh, you know, at the onset of training camp, so he hadn't played a game. Then you have Denzel Valentine missing the full year. Bobby Portis only played a handful of games. Chris Dunn, I believe, played one game. So when you're down four rotation pieces, three starters, you would think perhaps that would buy Hoiberg some time because it would be hard for the front office to evaluate, you know, just how well he was doing with this young core when almost all of the young core wasn't there. Uh, What was really odd to me, though, was the timing of this. Markkinen comes back, plays one game against the Rockets, comes off the bench, struggles a bit, scores 10 points. Hoiberg shows up the next day thinking he's running practice, and the Bulls have already fired him. They let Jim Boylan know the night before that uh, he was going to be the new head coach, that Hoiberg was going to be gone. So I think the timing was odd. The way they handled it was odd. It comes back to even the way they fired Thibodeau when they put out one of the most tone-deaf press releases you'll ever find. So I think that, you know, Hoiberg, you can argue the Hoiberg thing, it has a lot of multiple sides, right? Like you can argue that, you know, the Bulls never gave him the correct pieces to really implement the system he was hired to run in the first place. You can say it was unfair to fire him when he hasn't had four key rotation pieces and three starters this year. At the same time, he got the job without a real coaching search. <laughs> he was kind of handpicked from the very start. The Bulls sort of lied about having a nationwide coaching search. Uh, a nationwide
0: coaching search that stretched all the way to Ames, Iowa, and yeah. uh, Ames, Iowa, because of Gar Foreman and the Iowa State connection.
1: It's true. Uh, so, you know, from that regard, he never really did anything to prove that he deserved the job that he could be, uh, you know, a long term NBA head coach. So it's a tough situation. I mean, I I do think that Hoiberg gets it from a basketball perspective. He did some things this year that I really liked, uh, in terms of his coaching, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that Bulls fans are crying to lose Fred Hoiberg. It's just like the way they handled it is just so weird and strange it just doesn't give you a lot of faith in the front office moving forward i don't think
0: so yeah let's talk about hoiberg first and then we'll talk about the front office because well everything leads back there in a lot of ways um hoiberg in general he was a guy that started to get discussion in regard to nba coaching jobs i would say starting in like 2014 really the summer of 2014 he stayed at iowa state one more year and then uh obviously gets the bulls job and it was considered a very real uh, potential outcome that he would have gotten another job if it was a bull if it wasn't the bulls it was probably going to be someone else at some point because the thing with hoiberg is that everyone says and it's why um i think that there's a chance he goes back to college but why i think everyone is kind of jumping the boat on that just a touch is that He is not a guy who loves to recruit like he he doesn't love that rat race of trying to like go out, identify kids, find kids, convince them to come, convince 18 year olds to come. He built Iowa State on transfers and like he's been pretty open about not really wanting to do with that, deal with that. He wants to just coach basketball. So the NBA always felt like a pretty real and good outcome for him. Uh, the problem is that in the three years that he was there, I don't think he ever elevated what was happening around him. I agree with you that Hoiberg never got a chance really to be successful. He never got a chance to implement the scheme that he wanted, uh, in a competent way in large part because the front office, which is so inexorably linked here to the failings of the bulls over the last decade and a half. Um, the front office here didn't really ever put him in position to where he could run the scheme he wants competently. But look like on some level, he's an offensive minded coach who ended up, with like the 29th ranked offense they have a 97 offensive rating over the course of their last 10 games they're not getting better injuries hurt them this year and it's probably unfair that he got fired right now if you were going to fire him you would probably wait to see what happens whenever as you mentioned Lowry gets back and uh, as he plays with Wendell Carter and as Chris Dunn gets back and they have an actual real point guard with a pulse like there's a lot of like they're starting Ryan Archidiacono right now and like giving him 40 minutes in like multiple games I mean what are we doing here on some level with the bulls front office? But like, there is something to be said for the fact that a, the people that the front office, the players that the front office put in front of him, he never elevated. And the players that were there now, according to Darnell Mayberry with the athletic started to like undermine him. And Fred is not a guy who's going to be like uh super disciplinary. And he's not going to be a guy who really goes crazy just like you know suspending guys and sitting guys for the rest of games you know he expects people to be professionals he expects people to be uh people who can you know just kind of act in a manner uh, commensurate with playing in the nba and you know a lot of guys just kind of aren't there especially whenever they're younger players and the bulls right now have the second youngest roster in the nba
1: yeah fred got off to a really bad start from the beginning He inherited a Thibodeau team that was very much built for like the Thibodeau ethos of defense first, stacked front court, a lot of proud veterans. Well, you know, Thibodeau took that team, if you remember, in his last year to the second round of the playoffs. That's when they were playing the Cavs. They went up two to one. They would have been up three to one. But LeBron hits a dagger corner three. That was when David Blatt drew up a play for him to inbound the ball. And LeBron said, no, no, no. LeBron ends up taking the game-winning shot. Basically told
0: David Blatt, fuck your couch, and then walked out, and then nailed a three. It was amazing.
1: Uh, So, you know, if the Bulls win that game up three to one, you know, there's just so much that goes into it, right? Like, basically, Hoiberg, from the very onset, just didn't really command the respect of the team. You had Jimmy Butler saying he needs to coach harder. Then you had the three alphas year, when there was so much tension in the locker room between Butler and Wade versus the rest of the younger players on the roster, uh, culminating in Rajon Rondo's epic Instagram post, where he said, my vets would never call out the team publicly like that when uh, this was after a game, I believe it was against Atlanta, when Butler and Wade just went ham. They were killing it, carrying the offense, combined for like 70 points or something. Uh, But like, you know, the, the role players on the team missed some shots down the stretch, and they just blasted everyone in the locker room right after the game. Right from that point, and that was Hoiberg's second year. You could just tell that he was going to have trouble handling the strong personalities in the NBA. I will say that time does give him a little benefit here because, yes, Jimmy Butler didn't respect Fred Hoiberg. Does Jimmy Butler respect anyone? It doesn't really seem like it. So it was tough for Hoiberg to, you know, yeah. you know, be that force that could bring everyone together. He just wasn't really cut out for that from the very start butler walked all over him as soon as butler got away with it once he knew he could do it forever wade came in as you know just a hall of famer with a huge ego who was making a ton of money who was basically like the dude riding in on a white horse the hometown hero to try to bring the bulls back to competency now if you remember in that three alphas year they were up 2-0 on the celtics in that first round series rondo gets hurt they end up losing the series in six games uh so right from that very moment hoiberg's days
0: were numbered well here's when i think i knew that hoiberg's days were numbered it was even it was the summer before that it was whenever they decide to say hey we're gonna go out we're gonna try and like you know sign athletes and we're gonna try and uh play in fred's pace and space style we're gonna try and get up and down the floor and they kind of like Succeeded for the first, what, like two and a half weeks of free agency? It was like, you know what? The Bulls are, they're being kind of competent. They're, they're figuring some things out. And then they signed Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade. And then they trade right before the season, Tony Snell for Michael Carter Williams. And there's no pace in space anymore because all of those guys want to hold the ball. And none of, none of them, no one on the team even, can shoot at that stage like i don't remember if the bulls ended up having the worst three point percentage in the league that year it had to be damn close though that's when i knew there's no synergy here between the front office and fred hoiberg And hoiberg's scheme particularly is one where you need a lot of synergy between the coaching staff and the front office
1: you basically hired hoiberg for a system and then undercut the system at every opportunity you got So I'm not really crying for Hoiberg here because, you know, I don't know. Maybe he could have been an average NBA head coach. Perhaps he will get another job one day. He's still young. It could happen theoretically. And if it does, I think that, you know, if he's given the right pieces, he certainly could be a good coach. It just wasn't going to happen in Chicago. And, you know, you talk about the Michael Carter-Williams for Tony Snell trade. They then decided to keep Carter-Williams in training camp over Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah. They also decided to keep Isaiah Cannon in training camp over Spencer Dinwiddie. Those are just a couple of the point guards, uh, you know, who they decided to keep over Dinwiddie, who's going to be one of the better free agent point guards next year. He's going to get what minimum? Well, I know his maximum in the Nets is like forty-seven million, but if he hits the open market, he could even get more than that. So, yeah, his, uh, his
0: extension number. He's willing. It seems like he's willing to sign an extension um with brooklyn because he apparently wants to stay in brooklyn uh he can sign an extension starting now he just had a big like uh prepared statement about it last week that uh over at the athletic mike scotto went ahead and transcribed for us he said look the number is 12 years 47 million Uh, i would love to stay in brooklyn we'll see where it goes uh i think that you're right I think that's even undercutting what his full marketplace is. But if Spencer is willing to sign it because he wants to stay in Brooklyn, good for him. That's life changing money. He's one of the best stories in the NBA and he's like genuinely just an awesome dude. But like, yeah, I think that you're talking about a $15 million player if he hits the market this summer.
1: For sure. So, you know, that was another huge misstep in the evaluation.
0: Uh, And then it's like, so now what
1: was Hoiberg really being judged on? If you listen to John Paxson's press conference yesterday, he was like, I didn't see the passion and the energy that was in this building, even at the end of last year. Well, not having Bobby Portis, who might be one of the most intense players in the NBA. I assume that's going to affect your intensity level in practice. Not having Chris Dunn, who is really one of the more underrated defenders in the league, Chris Dunn's a hell of a defender, even with his offensive yeah. struggles. Yeah. Uh, that's going to impact the you know intensity of the practices and around the building. So, you know, was Hoiberg judged on wins and losses? Because right now, if the if the draft lottery started today, I believe the Bulls would be fourth. Which, considering, or no, actually, they're tied for second. I just pulled it up. So they're five and nineteen. The only team with a definitively worse record is Phoenix at four and nineteen. Uh, but still, it's like people thought the Bulls would win under thirty games with a healthy lineup, let alone with the one down all these key pieces. But,
0: but here's the, here's the problem with all of this, and we'll move it into the direction of the front office now. Um, I'll just close Hoiberg here by saying I have no idea if Fred Hoiberg is a good NBA coach. Uh, I genuinely don't know. Um, he's not a guy that was running like crazy complicated stuff, but he's one of the early adopters of understanding shot distribution and understanding the ways to get his players shots at the basket and ways to get his players shots beyond the arc. Uh, he is mostly just a spread pick and roll guy who gave the ball to DeAndre Kane, for instance, and gave the ball to Monte Morris later in his years and decided, hey, we're going to run spread, pick, and roll. We're going to let these guys really operate. We're going to drive and kick, and we're going to get shots at the basket, and when we can run, we're going to run. None of that stuff is like reinventing the wheel, but because he emphasized threes and shots at the basket early, I think that he had a very competent offensive scheme, and this is where we see the divide in the NBA now too, let alone in college where it's still just an absolute mess and why I think Hoiberg would absolutely wreck still if he went back to college. Um, <clears throat> there are not enough teams out there yet that really do understand shot distribution and really do understand where the best spots are on the floor. And it seems like given the Bulls continued forays into free agency with the players that they sign, that John Paxson and Gar Foreman are among the teams that are behind the eight ball in this regard. And I think that it goes to what you just said and why I cut you off here for a minute. It goes to what you said and what Dan Katz said yesterday over at Barstool, Barstool Big Cat. I think that he put it perfectly. The problem is that John Paxson and Gar Foreman think everyone is stupid around them. Like, all of the fans are stupid. And they sold this vision of... You know, we have Jabari Parker, he was a fifteen, seventeen point a game scorer. We have Zach Levine, we think he can be a twenty five point a game scorer. We have Lowry, who was first team all rookie last year. And we have Chris Dunn and Bobby Portis and all these young guys. We can make the playoffs this year. And then nobody who was smart thought that this was a playoff team. Nobody. But because they sold it that way, they boxed themselves into a situation where they set the expectations so high that the fans got behind it. And now they're essentially saying to the fans, you know, hey, we're we're going to move in a totally different direction and we're going to get some energy back in the building. We're going to uh, have Jim Boylan in, who's, you know, a guy who can really, uh, you know, motivate the guys and that's going to make a big difference here the problem is it's not going to make a big difference the problem is that the moves that you guys have made are why the bulls are in the situation now they think everyone else but them is stupid when really they're the ones who aren't good it's like when you sit at a poker table and you can't tell who the fish is uh sitting across from you you're probably the fish john paxton and gar foreman are the fish
1: yeah, th- I honestly believe the Bulls thought they would be pretty decent this year. Like, there was, I would say, uh, a small minority of fans who thought they could comp- compete for the playoffs coming into the season. Meanwhile, Vegas had their over under at like 30 wins or 27 wins. So, Vegas expected them to be one of the worst teams in the league. Anyone smart? Thought they would be one of the worst teams in the league, but they were able to appeal to like Bears fans who barely like basketball, who thought that you know maybe the Bulls have some interesting stuff going on. When you're trying to appeal to the casual fan, as they did when they signed Dwayne Wade, as they did when they signed Jabari Parker, instead of actually attempting to build the best basketball team possible, you're just predestined for failure from the very start. So I think that that is a huge mistake just at the forefront. I also just don't know how good they are at talent evaluation, and they did make good picks in Martin and Carter, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, the most important aspect to team building is hitting on draft picks. If they hit another, let's say, double or triple in this next draft, even if they end up getting the seventh pick, let's just say DeAndre Hunter or someone, and he ends up being, like, maybe not an all-star, but, like, a borderline all-star, I mean, eventually the Bulls are going to have a pretty good team, as long they keep hitting on picks despite all these mistakes they've made leading up to this and getting Carter and Markin and I mean that's just a really solid foundation I think for the for the rebuild for as many problems as the Bulls have with that being said the same people are still in place who've made these bad decisions again and again and again and they just keep repeating them it kind of started with the horrible trade for Doug McDermott back in the, I think that was the 2014
0: draft that was genuinely just insane to me, they. In by the way, look who uh, the pieces were in charge there. Greg McDermott, uh, Doug McDermott's dad. Greg McDermott. Why? Why yeah. is my? Yeah. Um, Iowa State guy. Uh, he knows Gar Foreman well. Uh, the scouting for the Bulls was to go get Doug McDermott. They trade like two very good first round picks, like top 20 first round picks that end up being Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris for Doug McDermott at number 12. It was like number 16 and number 19 or something for number 12, which is just so dumb in so many ways that it, belies comprehension to me.
1: yeah and the reason they got mcdermott is because they thought he could be our kyle corver when they had just given kyle corver away for a trade exception they never even used so the thought process see, behind you,
0: yeah and like you mentioned draft evaluation right and like i actually don't think they're terrible at the draft I uh, i just like complained about the doug mcdermott thing but over the years now they've actually done pretty okay uh You mentioned Lowry, you mentioned Wendell Carter. Um, You know, you you can look at Chandler Hutchison, who I think looks pretty useful right now. You can look at the guys that, you know, basically they got for Jimmy Butler, Uh, you know, Lowry Markin in here, they get Chris Dunn, they get Zach Levine. You could basically look at those guys as like, you know, guys that they evaluated as useful players that could eventually become good players as you do in the draft, because you got a lot of really interesting talent here. But the problem is everything else that they do. They don't know how to accentuate the talents of the players that they have around them.
1: Yeah. And like, do like I I said this from the onset uh, of the podcast that I thought Hoiberg gets it. I would love to talk ball with Hoiberg. One-on-one off the record, not Mm -hmm. as a reporter. Just, you know, talk about Deontay Burton a bit. Talk about Georges Niang. Like, I feel like Hoiberg, just in general, understands how you build a winning basketball team in 2018.
0: I agree with you. I 100% agree with that. I think that you can look at everything from the shot distribution that he had at Iowa State to some of the decisions he made this year. I, you know, like they started Wendell Carter over Robin Lopez. Like that's not a simple move for a team that, you know, the front office thinks they're going to compete. You know, they, they kind of have done a really good job, I think, giving Zach Levine free reign to operate on offense. Now, look, I don't think anyone thinks Zach Levine is like this future superstar on offense, but like he was certainly their best option. And I think that Fred did a pretty good job of just rolling the ball out and saying, hey, we're going to give Zach uh, really good opportunities to score. I actually love some of the sets that Fred has run after timeouts to get Zach open looks like there's there's a lot of pretty good offensive acumen there. It's just that the roster never makes sense.
1: Yeah. So it's like I think Fred probably understands how to build a good, you know, winning basketball team in, in this year. But does the front office? I'm not really so sure, even though they have made some good draft picks. And like I said, you know, you keep hitting on draft picks, you're going to be all right. And if you want to talk about truly the big picture, uh, what the Bulls are really missing right now is like a superstar perimeter player. Of course, that's like the hardest thing to acquire in the NBA. But if they were to get that person, I think Levine falls into a secondary scoring role. He's maybe in, you know, the Kyrie Irving role next to a LeBron. Obviously, how do you find your LeBron? It's, it's very difficult. But I think, you know, er, er, Levine in a secondary scoring role next to a more complete two-way player who's initiating the offense the majority of the time, he would be really good in that role. Levine is super talented. Like, I think people look at some of the inefficiency offensively, and they look at his reputation defensively, and they think, you know, this isn't someone I really need to keep an eye on moving forward. Levine is so slippery in the lane. He's so quick. Uh, he can finish with either hand. He's kind of got the ball on a string. Uh, is a ball handler. He's improved his passing this year. I think don't write off Zach Levine yet. Zach Levine, in a better situation, can be a really useful player who's going to like drop 40 in playoff games. Like That dude is a walking bucket in every way. He's just not cut out to be the offensive initiator. All right, then you got Carter. Carter's one of these rare guys who I think does elevate the play of everyone around him on both ends of the floor. There's more than meets the eye to his game, I think. Uh, you know He might put up modest box score numbers, but his impact is greater than whatever he's putting up in the box score. So I like him. Markenden, I don't really know what his ceiling is. It could be very high. Pure shooter is seven feet tall. He can handle it a little bit better than I expected. He's not a total zero on defense or on the glass. All right, so if the Bulls win the lottery and get Zion, I am sitting here ripping the Bulls. I think John Paxson should be fired. He's been the GM for 15 years. It's like, who gets to hire a fifth coach in the NBA? It's him and Ernie Grunfield. It's like, this is ridiculous. I don't think Paxson should still be around. With all that said, if they do win the lottery and they get Zion, the rebuild's going to be looking pretty damn good overnight. And then suddenly it's like, Well, you know, now maybe the Jimmy Butler trade was worth it. Now, uh, you know, all this angst we've had about the Bulls' rebuild sort of dissipates immediately because they would have a guy who appears to be that perimeter-oriented superstar. So there's a lot of duality to this conversation on both sides. But, uh, you know, the Bulls need talent. That's first and foremost. And they've they've added some good pieces through the draft the last two years, but they need more talent, more and more talent.
0: So... I guess that where I fall on all of this is like, yeah, if they get Zion, it'll be fine. And like, yeah, if, like, if they hit the, yeah, if they hit the lottery, if they hit the like 5% chance that they have to get Zion, cause I don't think that they're gonna go like, five and 19 the rest of the way here like some of these other teams are and because of the standard they have set and because they think that they should be winning i'm worried that other teams are going to start tanking around them and make this even worse for them like if the bulls end up like i don't think the bulls are going to be worse than atlanta i don't think they're going to be worse than cleveland i don't think they're going to be worse than the knicks even so or phoenix or phoenix yeah of course so like probably
1: five at that
0: yeah, you're probably looking at like five. And if you get the number five spot this year, that's like a 9% chance to get number one overall. So you're basically pinning your hopes for a John Paxson gar Foreman front office to a like 9% chance, right? Because next year, the odds are given just natural growth and development of this roster, they probably won't be in position for this to happen again. So this is where we're at with this front office. And like, I genuinely think it's the worst front office in the NBA. That that's where I'm at right now. They have drafted well. And I still think this is the worst front office, in the NBA, because it's just ass backwards in terms of the way that you should be running an organization. Like there's just, there's no, no free agent is going to want to go there. Like what, what coach should feel confident about going to the Chicago bulls right now? Because what coach should feel confident that the like secondary pieces that you're going to get to put on the floor around those players uh, you know, the three and D guys that can allow you to run the scheme that, is modern and smart in the NBA the uh, you know stretch centers that they already have actually so like the stretch centers don't really work but like the the lead guard depth that you need to be able to sustain an offense in the NBA what proof does a coach have that these guys can actually figure that out what uh, I mean like it what proof do we have that uh you know free agents should want to come to Chicago now to play for an organization that despite having all of the history of Michael Jordan his almost totally given up that cachet at this stage like what what free agent like chicago has max max, uh, i'm sorry chicago has max cap space this summer if they want it you never hear i've been
1: complaining about this i complained about it on my podcast yesterday it's like kevin durant seems like he's probably gonna leave the warriors the knicks are being rumored as a potential team the knicks have been garbage for forever for 35 years yet the knicks are are the team who is being you know rumored because they're a big market team in the Eastern Conference with a lot of history. Who else fits that description? It's the Bulls. The Bulls have a global fan base. We can be selling Kevin Durant Bulls jerseys in China to everyone. Unfortunately, the Bulls run the team like they're the Milwaukee Bucks or like they're the Indiana Pacers. They don't think of themselves as this power player within the NBA landscape. And you know we can talk about the front office, but who empowers the front office, it's ownership. And as long as the Reinsdorfs sort of value the bottom line more than winning basketball games, I think that, you know, it's tough to have a lot of faith in the Bulls moving forward. Now, they did build a really good team not so long ago with Derrick Rose and Joe Kim-Noah and Luol Deng and those guys. That was a slightly different era of the NBA. But this front office and this ownership did build that team. It also took... A hell of a lot of luck and i think that there's a lot of similarities in a sense between this rebuild and that rebuild the bulls hit on noah at number nine they hit on luau dang at number seven sort of similar to carter and Markinen at number seven uh for the current iteration of the team but what was the event that was the rocket ship up to contention for the bulls it was hitting the lottery for derrick rose on a one percent chance to draft him, and then he becomes the youngest MVP, and they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, the number one seed in the East two years in a row at their peak under Tom Thibodeau. They're going to need something like that to happen again. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, I mean, the drop-off, you know, it's still early with this draft class. So I don't know. And we actually haven't even talked much draft personally off the record uh, for this class, Sam, so I don't know how you're thinking about it. But I've written that it's a very top-heavy class. I think the drop-off from Zion to, let's say, Romeo Langford, or from even...
0: Even Cam Reddish Zion. to Romeo Langford, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's substantial.
0: Yeah, yeah so I'm with
1: Bulls you. walk away with the seventh pick this year and get Romeo Langford, who could certainly be a good NBA player, but I think that, you know, right there, how the hell are the Bulls going to build a contending team, which was the whole point of trading Jimmy Butler? You traded Jimmy Butler because you thought, well, Jimmy Butler can't be the best player on a championship team. That logic is just so ass-backwards in the first place. But that is mostly why they made the trade. The real reason is because they didn't want to pay him this contract that he's due to be paid at the end of this summer. So anyways, whatever. Butler's gone. You can't constantly relitigate the Butler trade. At the same time, it's naturally going to happen if you can't build a team that at least has hope of being one of the topper, top upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference the way Philly did with the rebuild. Now, Philly made some of the worst draft picks of the decade. I mean, Jaleel Okafor has got to be one of the worst picks yeah. you know, in recent draft history. Yeah. I mean, Fultz, G- Jesus.
0: Fultz. Yeah, I don't know what to do with Fultz yet, <laughs> but it's Jesus it's looking God. bad. <laughs> it's looking real bad. And yet they still have potential
1: to be one of the best teams in the East or to, you know, go to the finals because they gave themselves enough bites at the apple. Right. The Bulls in year two of the rebuild are already like, well, Paxton's like, I think we can make the playoffs. Why don't people think we can make the playoffs? It's like even trying to make the playoffs, your goal is messed up from the start. Like if you wanted to build a good team that can make the playoffs every year, Build that damn team around Jimmy Butler. Have Nikola Miritich be your secondary guy. Uh, Keep Etwan Moore. Keep Spencer Dinwiddie. You have Gary Harris and Nurkic instead of McDermott. That's a good-ass team. And then maybe you're in the position to make a trade for Kawhi Leonard or a guy like that. Or you can sign Kevin Durant. But instead, they went with the total teardown without really being committed to it. Like, Paxton always pounds his chest. I'm such a competitor. I need the fire and the passion. Well... You had Jimmy Butler, a two-way superstar, in a team-friendly deal, and you were the one who thought that you were too stupid to build a good team around him. You threw your hands up and you gave up. You said, I'm not competent enough to build a contending team around a top-ten two-way player on an extremely team-friendly deal. I can't do this. I'm too dumb. I'm just going to sign Dwayne Wade. I'm going to sign Rajon Rondo. I'm going to undercut my own competitive fire in my own best interest for trying to sell some tickets or some shit in the short term, the whole thing is just so deeply screwed up from the top down, Sam. It's like, as long as these same people are in place, even if they're making some good draft picks, how do you have faith in them? The only thing that can save them is a superstar. And I think the only superstar in this draft to me is Zion. And if they don't hit that 1% chance... I don't think they're going to be in position for Anthony Edwards next year. I don't think they're going to be in position for Jalen Green two years from now. So it's like, I, I don't know how you continue to defend the front office or continue to believe that their approach is the right approach to getting the Bulls back to championship level contention.
0: Yeah, like there was a process involved with the 76ers. It involved getting like essentially the odds adding up for like a lottery pick, right? Like the lottery odds adding up to over a hundred percent for you to get a number one overall pick and number one overall picks often end up being what we expect of them, right? To be just absolute blanket superstars. The bulls process right now is to compete and then hit like a 10% chance to get the guy that they need. That is just so ass backwards to me in in terms of roster building. Like, Nobody cares that you win 30 games right now. You know the difference between winning 25 games and 35 games means like very little to an NBA organization's bottom line, and it means very little to an NBA organization's fan base. Those are the kinds of moves that John Paxson has made and that Gar Foreman have made uh over the last three years, basically, over the last you know i would say basically since hoiberg took over and they started to kind of tear things down a little bit from the tibbs era and started to move on a little bit so what are we doing here that's what i come back to like what are what are we doing here with john Paxson and garf orman still being in charge this is it's insane to me that they still have decision making power to make a like fifth hire uh fred hoiberg i don't know like it's the Fred Hoiberg firing, what it does is it presents us a situation to discuss the failings of Gar Foreman and John Paxson, I think. Just straight up. And then, you know what happened yesterday? John Paxson made sure to say Gar is absolutely safe in his job.
1: Yeah, to me, you know, the fans want Gar fired, which is just hilarious that Gar has become, like, I don't the think, target.
0: Of, yeah, honestly, I don't think it's Gar. <laughs> like, I'll just be real. Right. Like, I, don't I do think, not
1: think it's Gar. I. I I tweeted this yesterday. Nothing would change if they fired Gar. Yeah. Like, he's just a stooge in the stooge machine. You know, he's a replaceable stooge. You can call up any idiot to be Gar Foreman.
0: And you know what? Like, if if we're going to say that they have a good draft record, which I think you and I are agreed upon, Gar Foreman has played a pretty big role in that. Uh, Like, they have done a good job of actually identifying talent under the Gar Foreman regime. The problem is everything else.
1: Yeah, and you know, then when you miss draft picks, like Marquise Teague, well, he was the last pick in the first round, but we're still going to bring him up. Like Marquise Teague, like Denzel Valentine. Valentine like...
0: pick was bad. I'll say that. that was... And I liked
1: it at the time. When it happened, I was like, yeah, he'll be able to, I mean, Denzel Valentine was putting up like 27-7 and 7 on high volume, efficient three-point shooting at Michigan State. Obviously, he was a below NBA caliber athlete, but I thought perhaps he could win with his you know his skill and his feel that hasn't translated whatsoever. Well, the, his, feel, his feel isn't very good.
0: The the problem is that he was a below average NBA athlete that was also like flagged at the combine. You know, and, and like was flagged uh, physically. I don't I don't remember if he flagged the combine, but he was flagged physically uh, yeah. by most NBA teams. So I struggle to see why that was an intelligent move.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that one hasn't worked out, and then like those picks go under a microscope. Even Portis is a decent player. Like Portis could help someone. He just doesn't really have a fit on the Bulls. Yeah,
0: that's a great pick, I think. You get Bobby Portis at number twenty two or whatever. That's a great pick. Yeah. So yeah, they identify talent. They just don't. There is a difference between being able to identify talent and being able to build a roster. Bulls are good at identifying talent. They just don't know how to roster build. And until they learn how to roster build, they're not going to be successful. Just straight up. I don't think they're going to be successful.
1: I completely agree, Sam. And it's, you know, it all starts from the top down. I think that's the biggest takeaway is that Jerry Reinstorf, he once said, you know, baseball is a religion. Basketball is just a sport. He also owns the White Sox. I think he goes to bed every night clutching his Paul Canerco World Series ball and (laughs) doesn't think much about those six championship banners. Hanging in the United Center because oh he just doesn't God. really care that much.
0: Oh my God. I'm
1: also a White Sox fan. The White Sox are garbage, too. It's like, at least do something for me, Jerry Reinstorf. I have not had a good sports team to root for. I'm like, seven or eight years before this Bears turnaround, which has been delightful. But I-, I need something out of the Bulls or the White Sox here. Give me something, Jerry.
0: Oh my, it seems like Jerry Reinsdorf needs to get some foresight and the best way to get some foresight is with simple contacts. The most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes, instead of heading to the doctor year after year just to renew your prescription for something you wear every day, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. This is vision care for the 21st century. If you need to renew your prescription, you just take a five minute simple contact vision test online. It'll be reviewed by a licensed doctor and you receive a renewed prescription and you reorder your contacts. All you need is your current contacts, an internet connection and in 10 feet of space. Even if you're totally out of contacts, they've got an option for you too. Uh, why is Simple Contacts awesome? It's because it's convenient. It is uh, fast, reliable. It's a five-star experience. It offers choice and it saves you money. Uh look, we're all trying to find a way to scrape by in this world. We're all trying to find a way to make sure and, uh, you know, make sure our time is valued and make sure that our money is valued as well. And simple contacts does that every single time that you use it. Uh, here's what I can offer you. You're going to get $20 uh off of your first order with simple contacts uh if you use the promo code game theory 20 uh, i again you're going to get $20 off of your contacts at simplecontacts.com/gametheory20 or you enter that code game theory 20 at checkout that's g a m e t h e o r y 2 0 at checkout uh look this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam but what simple context does is it's gonna make your life just so much easier. It's gonna make your life better, and it's gonna make your life simpler. Go to simplecontext.com slash game theory twenty. Our second sponsor today is Rx Bar. We are uh, obviously big fans of rx bar here it's a whole food protein bar their bars are made with real whole ingredients they want to be transparent and up front with their customers which is why they label the core ingredients on the front and the flavor components on the back uh, beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes rx bars actually taste delicious they found that creating a bar from real whole food ingredients actually tastes better than anything else out there they don't need fillers additives chemicals or sugar. They just need the, uh, simple ingredients that go into RX bar every single time that they make one. Uh, they build things the right way. They believe in the power of transparency and they let the core ingredients do all the talking. Uh, you know, they're great for a number of occasions, breakfast on the go, uh snack at the office to push it through that 3 PM slump. Uh, you throw the bag or you throw the RX bar in your bag for a plane ride. You toss it in your backpack for a bike ride. They, They come in 14 to delicious flavor varieties as well. Mango, pineapple, chocolate, hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, uh, chocolate, peanut butter, and uh coffee chocolate plus they have seasonal flavors as well uh they're also debuting rx nut butter which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites fruits and nuts uh they have uh you know it's squeezable it's spreadable it pairs great with fruit rice cakes pretzels or straight out of the pouch um they have honey cinnamon peanut butter peanut butter or vanilla almond butter uh i'm a big fan of rx bar i eat them pretty regularly uh to go and use RX Bar and go support the show here, uh, go to rxbar.com slash game theory. That's rxbar.com slash game theory. G A M E T H E O R Y. And what's going to happen is you're going to get twenty five percent off of your first order. And you're gonna be able to uh, enjoy RX Bar with As much verve and vigor as I do. So go to rxbar.com slash game theory and use that promo code game theory at checkout. Ricky, let's talk about something more enjoyable. What around the NBA have you enjoyed so far this season?
1: Yeah, I think it's been a good year in general. I think the rookie class is what catches my eye immediately just because uh, we spent so much time covering these players in college and uh, for me, even in high school, in the run-up to this draft. So, seeing Luca just, you know, match or even... I would say he's even exceeded the hype in a lot of ways. And I, I had him number one on my board from the day after uh, the 2017 draft. Uh, and, you know, he, he's he's lived up to the hype through and through. Maybe even exceeded it. He's been phenomenal. Jaron Jackson, the offensive evolution of Jaron Jackson has just been tremendous. You know, you saw it in bits and pieces at Michigan State, but he'd never really totally put it together to be a dominant college player at all. Well, it's just more, uh, you know, more proof that a lot of players can be so much better in the NBA than in college, just because of the spacing, because of the talent around him, because of better coaching schemes. I think Jaron Jackson has been a revelation. I had him number two on my board coming into the draft, and he's been awesome this year. I mean, he looks like a total stud. I think in the future. Uh, and if you just want to talk about you know, some non-rookies, maybe this is a little bit of a common answer at this point, but oh my god, Pascal Siakam, man. Pascal Siakam, the way that he has evolved coming out of New Mexico State uh, to be the type of foreman who can handle the ball, he was putting some dribble moves on... Uh, and his, the Warriors, his spin move four. is nasty. Like,
0: what, his spin move is nasty. Like that thing can just—he can blow by anyone with that thing in the NBA right now. It's crazy. And like I saw Pascal. I haven't really talked about Pascal on the podcast at all yet, and I really should. um I saw him this summer out here at UCLA, just like playing with you know guys like Kevin Durant and you know Buddy Heald and Dante Exum. I came away thinking like this dude looks like every bit of as good as those guys are, if not better. Like he looked awesome when I was down there.
1: He's the third best player on the Raptors. To me, the Raptors have, I mean, they're the breakout team of the league, obviously a 20 and five to this point. Uh, And everything just fell into place for Toronto this year. And that only happens when you have young guys take that next step forward. I think that, you know, he's, he's the biggest piece in that equation. Uh, So watching Siakam has been, has been awesome and you know I think that this is here to stay I mean we talk about his offensive development he's better on defense than he is on offense for all this improvement he's made offensively
0: like can we talk about the Spurs real quick how do the Spurs trade Kawhi Leonard and end up with like none of Pascal Siakam OG Ananobi Delon Wright Norman Powell like powell hasn't even been like amazing like he's in and out of their rotation uh like fred van vliet obviously couldn't be traded because he had just signed that deal um but like how do you and plus you give up danny green in the process too so like this wasn't even just moving Kawhi. this was moving danny green who's started every game for the raptors this season average 10 points a game he's shooting 43 percent from three he's been pretty good defensively like it's It eludes me to how we ended up in this situation for the Spurs, and like I guess part of it is you know they wanted to compete now, and they thought Demar was the guy that could help them compete now, and you know they're sitting at eleven and twelve. I think they're probably going to be right around that five hundred mark the whole way, and maybe make a run at the playoffs at the end of the season. Like I don't, I don't know how you come away from trading one of the five best players in the league and Kawhi Leonard and end up with none of Toronto's good young guys other than purple like And Purtle's, like, fine.
1: He's fine, yeah. He's averaging four points a game this year, by the way, in case you're wondering how impactful he's been. Uh, that was, like, a D package for them back. Like, maybe a, a borderline F. They did really bad in that trade, and it was because they valued the short-term boost that DeRozan would give them. I mean, you could almost see how the logic works in their mind. Like, we were, I don't know how many games the Spurs won last year off the top of my head, but they were pretty decent. They didn't have Kawhi the whole year. So you're thinking just adding DeRozan to that mix, maybe that bumps you up. DeRozan did have, you know, a career year his last season in Toronto. But holy cow, was that a one sided trade for the Raptors? So much so that even if Kawhi does leave, and Kawhi would be crazy to leave at this point, I think, just because they're so well set up for him. If I'm a Raptors fan too, him, like, figuring out the uh, shoe endorsement thing already instead of that lingering into his free agency. That just gives me even more faith that he's going to stay a Raptor. Obviously, a lot can change. Like, I don't know. I have no inside information on this. In the Clippers is another team we could talk about. Them being one of the surprise teams in the NBA. Uh, you know, that that will be a real pull for Kawhi, I'm sure, come come free agency time. But even in a world where Kawhi leaves, this is still an A-plus trade for Toronto. I mean, they are definitely the favorites to go to the finals right now. Uh, it's not a shoo-in by any stretch. I think that, you know, there's at least four teams in the East that can get there. But they're the clear favorite because of their depth because <clears throat> i think nurse might be the best coach in the nba whenever i hear nurse talk i'm just like this guy gets it more than anyone uh, and then you have Kawhi, Kawhi being like pretty much all the way back to being you know a top five player in the league the exact type of player you want to be the face of the franchise the type of player that you want to build any modern team around It's a two-way wing Who hits threes who just competes on both ends isn't selfish uh the raptors have been really awesome and you know i thought they were going to be good coming into this season i keep saying to my friends privately i wish i would have put my money where my mouth was because i I really (laughs) did like toronto especially at the odds they were getting coming into the season and they've they've been amazing it's been the best story in the league so far
0: yeah it really is just like a super super fun story that the raptors are good um Yeah, and Pascal is one of my favorite stories in the NBA. I didn't really like that trade. I didn't like that pick, really, at the time. Whenever Masai selected him, I was flat wrong. Like, I I thought that Siakam was like a second-round guy. They took him at the end of the first, and if I remember correctly, they took him over Scal, right? And I was like, well, why would you do that? What makes sense here? And what I've learned since then, and why I've gotten just a lot better at this, in the last few years uh is just the work ethic like pascal siakam from everyone who like knows him and talks to him and everything apparently this dude is just like a wild worker and you could really expect him to improve in such a significant way that it was it was reasonable to make the bet on him as as opposed to making the bet on other players
1: yeah and you know what what sort of jumps out, I guess, is the difference between Scal and Siakam from a scouting perspective, uh, even beyond the work ethic, is just, like, Siakam can really, really move, yeah. right? So, like, you knew you had that base there, that he can fly up and down the court, really move laterally. I think the Raptors probably also saw something similar in Bruno Caboclo, which didn't work out for him. But it's like the process was right, even if the results were wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like Pascal. A couple- Pascal's a quick twitch athlete, whereas Scal has kind of been proven to not be a, to be like more of a slow twitch guy. And I think that that is one of the most like underrated things that you find in scouting now. You got to find guys who are like quick twitch, who can move laterally, who can do, uh, who can react to things happening around them.
1: And when you do that, at what is Siakam 6'9", 230, 240, with a plus seven foot wingspan? I mean. You just have the basis for a good player when you add in that work ethic. You see the individual skill development with his ball handling, with his shooting this year. Uh, And, you know, he's a hell of a player. I was playing 2K against a friend yesterday, and Pascal Siakam was rated like an 84 or an 85, and he was like, Who's this guy? I'm like, He deserves to be rated that good.
0: Yeah, he's been awesome. He's been so, so good recently. Um, Yeah, even at the time, like when I wrote about this for The Athletic, I basically just wrote like, this is a smart gamble for the Raptors and it was a short-sighted move for the Spurs and it's kind of borne itself out. Let's get out of here and talk some NBA draft stuff. Uh, Ricky, you follow the NBA draft about as much as I do. Tell me, tell me where you're at here with all of this. Tell me, just look, I will start by just asking you, what do you want to talk about with the NBA draft? Because there's so many different directions to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're both in agreement that Zion's the best player.
0: Yeah, so- let me let me do this real quick. I have a top 100 board, my new top 100 board coming out tomorrow. Um, within you'll find why Zion is number one. I've talked about why, like him being number one uh, in previous podcasts for me, but like I'm actually gonna like I've talked to NBA executives and all that stuff, and like you know actually quote unquote reported out why Zion is number one. Also, I have eyeballs, so like that helps. Like Zion is definitely number 1.
1: Uh who's your did you have Ayton or Lucas your number 1 last year?
0: I had Deandre.
1: Um now, how I'm, would you compare Zion to Deandre in terms of a number 1 prospect?
0: Oh man, that's a good question. I was I
1: really want to rehash the evaluation so much It's just yeah, like my yeah. question. how strong of a number 1 overall prospect is Zion, which I do think there's there's room for debate there.
0: Oh man, that's a good question. Cause I, I like think Ayton is going to be a Hall of Famer. Like I'm on that boat. Um, and I, I think that Luca's like in that discussion as well. I had them like one A and one B. I had Ayton slightly higher. Uh, I think they're both going to be absolutely unbelievable players. I'd probably put Ayton or probably put Zion like right within their class right now. Maybe a touch higher, if only because of the age and the athleticism, but it comes with the caveat that I do really need to learn more about like his medicals and I need to learn more about like what people think of his like injury history over the last 18 months. Um, they're like just talking to executives already uh, like they, they want to see more basically. They want to learn more about that. Um, but right now they're also just kind of like, yeah, this is a no brainer. Like this dude's a freak. Take him
1: uh yeah so like you know from my own perspective like i think he's a cup below Luca. that's easy to say on december 4th 2018 when Luca's averaging 20 points a game as a rookie and has the Mavs like sort of in the playoff hunt already yeah uh but you know that so that is you know the big question with zion to me is like how strong of a number one prospect is he because he does have some holes in his game i just love watching zion play and he just sort of recalibrates your understanding of what a basketball player can be, in a sense. And that's why it's so much fun. Now, I put Zion in Tier 1. I don't have anyone in Tier 2. <laughs> I think that's how big the drop-off is between him and the next best guy. That's I interesting. Reddish. I have Reddish as the second best player in the draft. I had Reddish number 1 in my initial board on June, in June, right after mm-hmm. the 18th draft. I always put out a board the next day. Reddish was number one for me because I saw him on the EYBL and I saw him at more importantly, USA basketball camp. And I thought this guy just has all the he reminded me a little bit of a less explosive Tracy McGrady in that he has all the talent in the world. Someone at six nine should not be that smooth, is a ball handler, is a shooter, as someone who's just, you know, coordinated, coming around screens, moving on and off the ball. But then, you know, the question with him is like the competitive fire. Like, does he always want to be locked in to be great? Yeah. Very similar to McGrady. Uh, I don't think he has that upper echelon athleticism that McGrady had. I mean, McGrady was a goddamn freak athlete. Reddish is a good athlete. He's more smooth than explosive. Yep. Uh, and I know that Reddish has no showed several times for Duke this year. My friends who are not basketball writers but who just love the game are, like, watching Duke games this year to see Zion, and they're like, you know, Reddish might be kind of a buster. Like, this is the third bad game we've seen from him when we're watching Duke, and I get that. To me, Reddish is going to be better in the pros uh, than in the league. I think he has very, very high upside as a role player, just as a 3 and D guy, uh, potentially, with also some star equity as well. So Reddish is my number two, and then I'm still sticking with RJ at three. I'm not totally sold on Nazir Little. I think Little's skill is very unrefined at this point. I do like the look of Little's jumper. He's going to need to make major strides as a ball handler, as a shooter, and as someone who just like plays with poise and with like a certain level of calmness to his game that I just don't see right now. Maybe it will happen by the time he's you know, 23, 24. Hell, that's a long time from now. Uh, I'd have Lil- Nazir Little number four with Bol Bol as number five. Barrett, I don't think, is a great prospect. I do think that R.J. Barrett can be an all-star in the NBA, if not a superstar. Uh, so that that's kind of where I'm at at the top of this draft right now. And then after number five, it, it gets tricky for me. I like Kevin Porter, but I, I have no idea what to make of Romeo Langford. I have no idea what to make of Quentin Grimes. Uh, I have no idea what to make of... I can't even pronounce the French kid's name.
0: Sekou Dumbuya?
1: Dumbuya, I have no idea. So, uh... I don't love this draft, but I like it, and I think that, you know, there's already uh, that top tier is uh, has started to form and it'll be interesting to see uh, how the hierarchy shapes out as the season goes on.
0: So like, here is here's where I'm at. Nasir, I have Nasir at 4, I've reddish at 3, I have Barrett at 2, I've Zion at 1. Um, you know, we I can parse through that at some point later on. Um, I don't like the range from 5 to like 12 or so. Um, I don't really, I, I just don't think that I don't like the range from five till even like maybe 25 even Um, I, I'm just not sh- like, I don't think that those picks are going to be marginally as valuable as what an average draft is. Um, Like I have Deandre Hunter at number five right now. Um, Hell yeah! Like Deandre Hunter is a stud. He's going to be a really, really good NBA player. But if you're at number five, you want a guy who can be like a star, right? Like, or at least has that potential, right? Yeah. I don't really see that with him. Like I've Kevin Porter, at like top 10, top seven, something like that. Like Kevin Porter is still a big unknown in a lot of ways. Like I yeah. like, I like Kevin Porter, but yes. I don't think we know what his exact level as a shooter is yet. Um, he's good. I, I think he wants to defend but he's still not like super aware of where he needs to be defensively a lot of the time. So like I don't know what to think of him. Like Keldon Johnson, Romeo Langford, Quentin Grimes. We don't really know what those are. is so bad. We don't know what those guys are like Quentin Grimes. The problem with Grimes is that like a bill self doesn't trust him and B. I don't know if he's bad. Like, I don't know if he's bad. I just know that he's struggling right now and it's kind of an unforgiving spot for him. Right? right, because like in Michigan against Michigan State, he was really good. I guess yeah, we were there. Yeah, I guess Vermont, he was really good. And now in their last four games, he's shot like twenty percent from the field and hasn't shown a ton in terms of ball handling and everything. So like, it might just be be a bad fit because he's not as bad of a player as he's shown in the last four games. You know, like he's nowhere near that bad.
1: couple things, Kevin Porter. My question on him is. Is his game only flashy or is it also functional? Like, his highlights are nasty. You're going to see some step back threes. You're going to see some up and under acrobatic finishes.
0: Everything that he does in terms of highlights is like immediately translatable to the NBA.
1: Completely agree. But the nuance of the game, does Kevin Porter have that? I'm not saying he doesn't. I mean, it's just way too early to tell i think from people in our position and uh i like his frame too i think you know he he plays like a seattle player in a lot of ways like uh jamal crawford zach levine even nate robin isaiah thomas just in terms of that ability to create an isolation and uh basically like put you on a vine like embarrass you with how how nasty his moves are Uh, I,
0: i went and talked to him last week he is he's awesome i like kevin porter I like him as a dude. Like I like him as a uh as a prospect. He is he's a lot bigger too. Like you see him in person. He looks like a six foot six wide receiver. Like he is a big dude. He's a big
1: dude. He just has the frame that Crawford and Levine don't have. I mean he's already two twenty, whereas those guys are like sub two hundred pounds. So uh I like Porter, but I still need to see more of him. My thing with Grimes is like he he, the book on grimes is like he's really solid across the board but like where does he stand out he doesn't stand out with size he doesn't stand out as an elite passer or an elite shooter he's just someone who's like supposed to be focused and tough and smart on both ends who can do a little bit of everything but maybe that's not enough to be a top ten pick in this draft, so I don't know. It seems like the guy who I haven't heard you talk about yet is Bull. I have bowl number five. I think Bull could be number two.
0: <laughs> I wrote a lot about Bull last week. Uh it's <laughs> Bull is I have him at thirteen. He's gonna be the swing guy. Like no one is gonna have any sort of consistency on him. No one's gonna have any sort of like great feel for him going into this thing. He's I don't know, man. Like,
1: so without pulling back the covers too much on it, if you could provide any insight on this, is that a Sam evaluation? Is that you talking to people around the league? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Like, I have no problem pulling back the cover. I've I've written like I've published three thousand words on Bull already. Um, so he's a really bad defender. He like genuinely he is awful on defense. Um, he also might be like an elite offensive prospect. Cause I actually do believe he's like a 40% three point shooter, um, which I think gives him a lot of, it gives him a higher floor than what I think other people think. Like I talked to some people who think like he could be out of the league, like in four years. And I don't really think that's the case. Cause I think he can just shoot it. He makes more like highlight plays than any player in college basketball that isn't named Zion, but he's so bad on defense and, I don't really see the potential for him to like become a good defender in space. And I don't really love the frame. And I don't know if he's going to be able to keep putting weight on the frame to where I I don't I don't know what the ceiling is defensively. I don't know what the like And centers are so impactful defensively, uh, both good and bad, that I really worry on what he can do for like a high end uh nba team like i talked to someone yesterday who uh we'll say consults for nba teams and he was like maybe this guy is like brooke lopez like maybe he's uh like a really really good three-point shooter who can struggle defensively in the modern nba and is going to be a very situational prospect i think that's what i keep coming back to bowl you can rank bowl in the top five if you're milwaukee like where you run like some very conservative defensive scheme where you play drop coverage. If you're Portland where you play drop coverage with your big and your entire goal is to contest shots at the basket with your big, I don't think you can have bowl in the like lottery really. Even if you're golden state and you want to switch all kinds of defensive coverages or if you're, um, you know, teams like uh, teams, like even the Celtics, like want to switch a good amount of defensive coverages and be versatile defensively. Like, th- I guess that you could say he could like replace Aaron Baines because they don't really do that with Baines on the floor. Um, They play such like a different defensive structure. But it's it's all schematics based. It's all situation based. It's all scheme based. So, like, I don't I don't really know what to do with Bull.
1: I have, there's just so much to unravel with Bull. First of all, even though he sucks on defense, he does have a seven, eight wingspan and he is top 15 in the country in block percentage.
0: Now, he definitely block shots. He blocks a lot of jump shots. One thing that was worth noting and what I wrote in the, so he had 17 blocks in his first six games, seven of those 17 blocks were on jump shots. Maybe that's more valuable
1: in today's game.
0: Is it though? Because it's harder to close down space when you're a big like that in the NBA because you have to go out the extra four feet to contest the three.
1: And you risk to get burned as well. Yeah. Uh, The other thing too is like who knows what NBA defenses are going to look like five to eight years from now. Like if you watch the Celtics Mm -hmm. play the Sixers in the playoffs, the Celtics were kind of playing a lot of zone. If you're playing zone, some sort of hybrid zone in the league with bowl, imagine if you get him next to Porzingis in New York, and you got two 7-3 guys.
0: Oh, you're getting burned every defensive possession from three. You think so? Yeah. Every, every team is just going to put them in consistent ball screens and just make it a mess, I think.
1: Uh, highly possible. To me, Bowl does not look like a conventional prospect. And that is why people are soured on him. Now, of course, Zion doesn't either. Zion's approach is so professional and his charisma is so magnetic. And his efficiency is so off the charts that I think Zion has silenced all the doubters. Bull, I mean, people question his approach, I think, not just his, his lateral movement. There's been questions about his motor since he's sort of developed into a you know a top recruit. Uh, But to me, his impact is just so exaggerated. Like Even though it doesn't look like he's giving great effort sometimes, he's still putting up huge numbers. He's productive, uh, even while playing the game at his own speed sometimes. And I do just think that combination of length and shooting, like to me, the volume on the shooting is what I want to see more about a bowl-bowl. I want him to shoot five or six threes a game, which I think will happen at the NBA level. It's not going to happen in college. Because college coaches just don't use their big men that way. And then I think he can be a really valuable player. Uh, I like Bull at number five. You like him at 13. That is going to be one of the most fascinating draft debates uh, as it gets closer. Because and By
0: the way, I will say this. Most NBA executives that I've that I've talked to think he's going like somewhere in the 5 to 10 range. So they're probably a little bit closer to where you are than where I am.
1: Yeah. Um, it's like someone else has to step up.
0: Yeah, you know. that's where I'm at. Like, we need someone to, like, figure out how to be good in this class. I, I want to point out some of the guys that I have moved up. Um, you'll see how far, I guess, tomorrow, whenever this gets released. Uh, Lugans Dort out of Arizona State is slid up quite a bit. Uh, Brandon Clark at Gonzaga. Uh, I-, okay. I-, I will tell you, like, I have Brandon Clark at number 20 right now. I don't know if he is an offensive fit in the NBA. Um, he's just such a good defender that, like, he might be Andre Robertson. And I'm okay with that at number twenty in this draft. But like I, I don't I don't know what to do with him either. Um Nikhil Alexander Walker has moved up. Uh let's see. Casey Apala has really moved up. casey has been very, very good. Uh I have moved up Shmory Pons a little bit. Uh AJ Lawson and Iggy Braz I think are worth pointing out. What have you thought of some of the like under the radar freshmen so far?
1: Yeah. Uh I'm not. T- let me let me look at some names here, and I can try to figure out uh, you know who I'm buying, who I'm selling. I like Simi.
0: Yeah, I I have him as like a borderline first right now. Actually,
1: I would take him over a lot of guys in this class because <laughs> I, I I'm trying to make the Siakam comparison with with him here. Is he that much of a quick twitch athlete?
0: I've seen him in person a few times now. Not like Siakam. His reactivity isn't like Siakam's is, but. I see where you're going with it, and I don't think it's, like, insane. Uh,
1: I got Jared Culver at 11. Sure, that's reasonable. I thought that that might be crazy to an extent, but I just really like uh, the poise with which he plays, the fact that he's taken on the initiator burden at Texas Tech this year while raising his efficiency, not only his usage but his efficiency. he's just shows a lot of things to me that I think – proves he can be a good offensive guard in the nba so So i'm liking culver i'll
0: say this about culver real quick the only reason i didn't bring him up earlier i've moved him up a little bit but like i had him 19 to start the year so like ricky what ricky's saying is right he's jared culver's awesome and like the only reason i didn't bring him up earlier is because i had him a little bit higher and didn't really think of him as a riser but jared's jared's great and i'm a big fan of his game.
1: John ja Morant is just Stud Stud, you think where you got him?
0: 9.
1: I put him 13 and i thought that would be too high and now it looks too low. Yeah,
0: he's I don't I don't think thirteen's too low. Um not honestly 9 is the highest is like upper echelon of probably where he should be, I'll be honest. Um yeah, he's just so so good. I talked to him yesterday too. He is a really, really interesting kid. Uh, had an offer from South Carolina and decided to go to Murray State because he thought that it felt like home whenever he stepped on the campus. So uh, I love dudes like that. Um, i trying to think, who, who else do we got here? Uh, Char- I've moved Charlie Brown onto my board. Uh, shout out Charlie Brown at St. Joe's. Uh, I have moved. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the guys I've moved on to my top 100. Naji Marshall at Xavier. I think he's sneaky good. Vic Law at Northwestern's averaging like 17. I think like six and three. We go see him tonight. Yeah, shooting like 40 percent from three, and he's also like six six with a seven foot wingspan. So that's really interesting. He's always been a guy that's been on my radar that I sneaky like. Tyshawn Alexander at Creighton. Uh, he's been super fun, kind of like a six foot three combo. guard a great creator though. Who's shooting really well. I want to see, I have him like in the seventies right now. I want to see where the shooting levels off before I go crazy with him, but like he's a hundred percent on my radar. Some of the guys that, uh, like some of the freshmen, I guess, that have stood out, uh, Talen, Horton Tucker. Uh, let's see. Andrew Nemhard has been okay at Florida. I think he had a rough start his first couple games. I think he struggled, but he's kind of found his level a little bit. Moses Brown still is not on my board. Cause I only rank freshmen that are, uh, in the top 50. Uh, let's see. Is there anyone else?
1: What about Naz Reed?
0: Oh uh, yeah. I've got, uh, Naz Reed like it. 26 and i don't feel great about it uh he's been struggling with an ankle injury i think that that's the reason his numbers don't look particularly good uh he also likes to float and that's another problem he's really not very good defensively he,
1: is he can't just, move he's like ball. he's similar to ball in a lot of ways
0: yeah he's just very very skilled very, very skilled, a good shooter, a very, very uh talented ball handler for his size. There's a lot to like about him. I just want to see more um more from him when he gets fully healthy.
1: Yeah, he's gonna be an interesting guy. I mean you'll find mock drafts with him in like the top ten.
0: Yeah, that's tough.
1: I yeah, I totally don't agree with it, but I do think that it is uh a reflection on just like his offensive skill he can really do some things that are made for like 25 second clips on Instagram (laughs) where you're like, Holy cow, this guy can, can really move. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't think it's a very good draft. I think that it's going to be better than next year's draft. Most likely.
0: Yep. That's the problem. (laughs) But next year's draft might be
1: deeper. So I would next year's draft is all the guys who are evaluated at the top of the draft in terms of recruits. Like those guys are kind of obviously not really good NBA fits like Vernon Carey, like Isaiah Stewart, even Wiseman has never done much for me, like Matthew Hurt. But I think you know, there's some guys below them who will be pretty good fits. Akoro, Maxie. So
0: Jaden McDaniels is like kinda in that top tier now. He's I think that well now that Anthony Edwards is reclassified, I would have Edwards at number one, but I think I'd have Jaden at number two right now.
1: Me too so we're in total agreement on that
0: yeah um the the other thing about that is too like the 2020 recruiting class in basketball i think that you might see some of those guys reclassifying to 2019 seeing that class is stacked yeah seeing the potential weakness of it all uh that i think is something that realistically a lot of players should look into yeah um beyond that man i think that's about all i got for you Tell me, tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me where I can find your work. Tell me, uh, tell me all, all about Ricky, the Ricky O'Donnell experience right now. Yeah.
1: You can find all my work at Uh Writing draft stuff, writing college hoops, writing some MBA. I'm a jack of all trades on the basketball side at SB Nation. Uh, not to give this away too much, but I, I might have an Anthony Edwards thing coming. Maybe I talked to him. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. We'll see. So that could be coming out. Uh, in the next week or two i'm really excited about anthony edwards you'll also have some draft stuff for me uh from me as this all goes on uh and in terms of bowls discussion i have a new bowls podcast this year with jason pat called cash considerations
0: it's fantastic name we're very
1: emotional and very snarky i already said some things on the podcast yesterday i'm like i sound like a crazy person i need to slow down but you know we give it to you real on the Cash Considerations podcast. So if you if you like the discussion here, you follow us there. Uh, and I have a college basketball podcast as well this year with Mike Rutherford called Palpable Buzz. <laughs> which is really fun. Mike Rutherford's the best. So I
0: forgot that that's what it was named. I've actually been listening to it. I forgot that's what it was named.
1: Palpable Buzz, man. I got Cash Considerations and Palpable
0: Buzz. Oh no. Oh, Rothstein. What a mess. Um, <laughs> uh, go to The Athletic. I'll have a Top 100 board tomorrow for you. Uh, I will have uh, some other like features going up over the course of this week as well. Like I said, I talked to John Morant. talked to Kevin Porter. I have a few other interviews scheduled out for later this week. Um, other than that, go subscribe to The Athletic. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave ratings. Leave reviews. Leave everything that... You can just support the podcast. Go buy uh, Simple Contacts. Go buy RX Bars. Go buy anything that I advertise on the podcast because it does really help support the show. Um, I think that's about all I got for you this time, though. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.